Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. Hey, if you're a guest here with us today, I, I too just want to say a special welcome to you. We actually have something created just for you this morning, after our, after, right after this service, right over there in, in that corner of our auditorium. It's called our 10-minute party, and uh, we do that 10-minute party just for a way for you to be able to get, if you're newer, relatively new to Brookside, for you to be able just to get a quick sneak peek about what we're really about as a church, and then for you maybe to be able to shake the hand of, of um, some people on our team. And so we would love uh, to meet you uh, if you're newer to Brookside uh, right after the service over at the 10-minute party. Hey, I also want to just celebrate um, something with you. We got some pictures from something really neat that happened on Thursday morning. Um, Alyssa Erickson and her team did an awesome job of really blessing the teachers down at Castellar Elementary School. And of you all are also a part of that by the way that you invest in the efforts of this church and what we see God doing here. And so I just want to say a huge thank you. Um, one of the teachers down there said, wow, I can't believe a church from 120th and Ellis Street came clear down here to be a blessing to, um, to our school and to our staff. And they were just blown away by it. So uh, very, very well done. I also want to mention this. We're really working on cultivating two new partnerships with schools that are right around here, right in this area around Brookside. And so if you have any interest in that, we're really looking for two more Alyssas, in a sense, that will really help us be a liaison between the school and the church and really help us understand what are some of the needs of the school and then how can we as a church uh, be able to engage in those. So if that's any interest to you and leadership in that, um, office at brookside.net is where to email and we'll get you more information. I also want to mention to you that next weekend I'm going to give you an update on our activity down at the Douglas County Correction Center. As you know, we've been talking about putting on a church service down there and so we've had some initial meetings and are making some progress. So I'll give you an update on that next week. Well, this morning what we're doing is we're going to continue on in our series that's taking us through the New Testament book of Luke, and our series is called Best News Ever, and today's text is one of those uh, key reasons why we called the series the best news ever. Today we're going to look straight at the gospel. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, and what we're going to see in Luke 15 is one of the most incredible views that we get of who God is, and then not only who God is, but how he sees you and how he sees me. And through this story that Jesus tells, I believe you're going to be able to see yourself in the text this morning. Be able, I believe you're going to be able to, to really relate to one of the characters in this story this morning. Even if this story is familiar to you, I think the way that we'll look at it and the, the way that the text comes to life, I think you'll be able to really apply it personally. What you're going to see in the text this morning is, on the one hand, you're going to see a rebellious son. You're going to be, see a son that was very blatantly walking away from God. He was giving God the hand. Maybe you can actually relate to that. Maybe that's even, uh, just to be honest, maybe that's a season where you're in right now. Or you can look back over your past and you can say, I remember a time when I just gave God the hand and I blatantly walked away from God. I, I know I can remember that time in my own life. You're also going to see in the text this morning the story of an older brother. He was the upright one. He was maybe morally right. He was a rule keeper. He had a, a, a proud heart, though, frankly. He, honestly, he was very dissatisfied. He was probably very upset with his father. He was um, the kind of person that maybe is just upset at life, maybe disillusioned, maybe going, God, why did you? Very upset and kind of going questioning even. Maybe that for you this morning is actually where you'll see yourself a little bit more in the text. And then lastly, and this is what we can't miss this morning, it's the picture of God that we get. We get such an incredibly winsome picture of God this morning, and it's one of those pictures that it makes you want to respond, and you'll have an opportunity even to do that this morning. But know this, 
the bottom line teaching of Jesus Christ is this this morning. It's no matter how far you stray, no matter how far you go away from home, God, and once you figure out exactly who he is, it will make sense to you why you want to return. It'll come to life for you. You know, one of my greatest joys uh, in this position is when I get to teach God's word and we get to see the truths of scriptures coming to life in the lives of people, there's nothing better than that. And this morning is one of those times where I believe you're going to get a view of who God is. And I believe that that might even, God might cultivate in your own heart and the spirit of God might lead you to say, in light of that, yes, I will take a step towards that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read these three stories to you from Luke chapter 15. Now, we usually don't tackle an entire chapter, but this morning, I think you're up for it, you're a smart crowd, so we're going to dive into it. And the reason why we're going to is because these three stories, they really all work together. They drive to one main point. The first two stories are going to give you a clear window into the heart of God. The last story is really where we're going to land this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn there now. Go to Luke um, chapter 15. And uh, if you got your phone, just download a Bible app or whatever. You can click there, Luke 15 as well. So these three parables that we're going to look at this morning, the third one's the longest. It's also probably the most famous. It's the longest recorded parable that we have in the scriptures that Jesus told. Um, and it's, it's good for, it, it's got a, a famous reputation for good, good reason. So why don't you stand with me now and uh, we'll read God's word together. You might wonder why we stand from time to time to read God's word and and it's really just a way for us to, to say, Lord, we, we respect the, this book and, and we thank you for it. So, so let me read these three stories to you. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That was a good thing. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now story number one, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in this way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, that kind of a heart, than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So see the, the window into the heart of God there. Story number two, think about the heart of God. Or suppose a woman has ten coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and then sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And, and then when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and she says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner, over one person who does wrong, who repents when they turn to God. Verse 11, story number three. Try to imagine this. Jesus continued. This is where we'll really focus today. Picture this scene, church. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one, and that's significant, we'll talk about that. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son, he got together all he had. He set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the, his fields to feed the pigs. And, and he longed to fill his stomach, though, with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And I will go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he, he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. Some of you, you might be able to relate to this one more than the other one this morning. The older one's out in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So the father went out, and he, he pleaded with him, and he, and he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you. you I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Pray with me, church. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, most of all, I thank you that you're the kind of God that we're going to learn about this morning. We're going to learn exactly how you see us. And then, Lord, we're going to see that you invite us. If we're not home, you invite us back. You invite us to come home. And so this morning, we pray that you would just stir in us and we open ourselves to that. We pray that the Spirit of God would move deeply in us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In 2009, a well-known leadership author and consultant, Simon Sinek, he gave a TED Talk entitled, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And this TED Talk, it went viral. It's been viewed by 28,000 people. He ended up writing a book kind of flowing from it. The book is titled, First Start With Why. And this talk got so much traction because Simon Sinek, he realized that if he could help people understand not just what they do, but why they do it, the why behind the what, he realized that that would be so helpful for them. And so as people began to watch this and they began to ask the deeper questions, not just what do I do, but why do I do it? What's the why behind what I do? It was super helpful to them. It helps you understand, okay, why do I make decisions the way I do? Uh, why am I in this relationship? Why do I believe what I do? The why question is so important. When Jesus begins Luke chapter 15, the why is crystal clear to him. And it's really important that we start there this morning. It's really important that we understand why Jesus was telling these three parables. Now we know this. Whenever Jesus would tell a parable, he was addressing oftentimes a question. Sometimes he was addressing a problem. Sometimes he was simply addressing a concern that he was seeing. And his hope was, as he would tell a parable, that the people would be able to relate to the parable, see themselves in the story, and then be able to experience the life that God longs for them to live. So we see this throughout as he tells different parables, like in Luke chapter 10, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus tells him the parable of the good Samaritan. We see it in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, one brother says to Jesus, hey, tell my other brother, tell him to divide the inheritance among us. 
And so Jesus tells him this parable, and he's warning him. He's warning him not to become greedy, to guard against that. In Luke chapter 14, we see it again. Jesus notices that as these people are coming to this banquet, that these guests are actually choosing the the best seats, the seats of honor. So Jesus tells them a parable because he wants to encourage them in the ways of humility. He's taking their, their thinking to another level. We see this over and over again. The stories explain who Jesus is, and they invite us into life with him. Now, when we get to the book of Luke, we see this. Luke, the writer of the book of Luke, is so helpful to us. Because right before he goes into these parables, he gives us these statements that help us understand why. Why did Jesus write these three parables? It's such an important setup. We see it again in chapter 15. Look at verse 1. This is why. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, they grumbled, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. In other words, from the lips of the Pharisees, a group that was dedicated to religion, but yet very far from God, they were saying to Jesus Christ, hey, you're around the teachers, you're around the tax collectors, and you're around the sinners, and Jesus, we just want you to know, Jesus, we don't like the company that you keep. Jesus, we don't like who you're with. Jesus, we don't like who you invite into your home. Jesus, we don't like, frankly, who you talk to on the street. Jesus, we don't like who you have coffee with. We just don't like who you're around. But who was Jesus around? He was around sinners. Raise your hand this morning if you're a sinner. And if you didn't raise your hand, you just told a lie. And so now you are a sinner. And so now <laughs> raise your hand. But just think of this. Not only did he, was he talking to the sinners and being criticized for that, but even more specifically, the text says, Jesus was talking to, to tax collectors. Now, think about this. What a great thing, honestly, to be accused of, being associated with sinners, being associated with tax collectors. Might that be said of us? But know this. A tax collector in that day and age... Like when Jesus is being accused of this, that was no compliment to him. Not at all. It was actually a big deal that he would be hanging out with tax collectors. Tax collectors weren't thought of as highly at all. It's not much different than today. Do you have a lot of love and joy when you think about writing your tax bill? No. I mean, do you, do you ever go up to someone and you say, hey, hi, how are you? I, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, tax, I, I collect taxes. Do you ever turn around and go, Shame on you. You know, I mean, it's just not a lot of love, is there, for that work, is there? But particularly at this time, know this, in the Roman Empire, they didn't want to collect taxes. So you know what they did? They farmed the job out. And so here's what would happen. A group would come in, like kind of like a financial group or a firm or something like that. And so they would give a, a, a bid, hey, this is how much tax we can collect for Rome. So they would go to Caesar or they, they would go to Herod and, and they would say, okay, and maybe in our terms, we'll give you a million dollars for all the taxes that we're going to collect in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. A million dollars. And you know what they would do? The government would say, okay, well, we'll obviously we'll take the highest bid. And then that group, that firm would go out and they would collect taxes from the people. This is where the hatred came in. Because the rate of taxation could go up and down on a whim. And there was no way to appeal the process. No way. And so you could be overtaxed. And so they, this group was not only raising the $1 million that they promised, but they were also raising their own millions to pad their own pockets. And as this corruption took place, and it was rampant, these people were hated. These people were disgusting. But where was Jesus? He was with them. 
The great why behind these three stories that Jesus wants to make so alarmingly clear is this, that what the character of God is like. Who is God and what does he think when he sees you? What does he think when he sees people that are on the outside of the circle? Because what Jesus was really proclaiming with his association with sinners and tax collectors was this. You guys just care about people on the inside. I care about people on the outside. You guys are just concerned about your own little safe crowd. I care deeply about those who are far from me. So now let's dive into this story. So many things that bring this story to life. The story begins with a young man that's sick of home. He's sick of home. Like thousands that would go before him and thousands that would proceed after him, he had had it with home. In this young man's mind, home was restraining, but away was appealing. In this young man's mind, home was was predictable. He knew what would happen at home. He knew what was expected at home. But away, oh, away was intriguing. It was exciting. We all know what it's like to run. We all know what it's like to stray. Think about the very first person on the planet, Adam. He was a runner. He had this desire in him. I want to do it my way, on my terms, in my timing. And that desire has plagued humanity ever since. To me, to you, to all of us. You know, sometimes people run because they have a view of God that God is a taskmaster. That God is, maybe you even have come to a a place like this before. You've come to a church before and you've walked out and and you've said, okay, I just got to get in line and God's mean and God doesn't like me. And so if I just walk a little straighter and da 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 then God will maybe like me. And, and you've thought, God is just, that's your view of God. Or maybe for you, you've actually been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Or maybe you've been hurt by hypocrisy. Or maybe you had someone in your life that claimed that they loved God, but yet they were very hurtful to you. And so now your view of, of the God that they loved and worshiped becomes tainted. And so you walked away from faith. Or maybe Maybe you stray, maybe you run, because every time you think about coming back, you're flooded with guilt instead of the freedom that Christ offers. Or maybe for you, you never want to return home because you don't understand how good home is, what it's really like. Back to the story. So for the son to do what he did in the story, and I've read the story to you so you know this, he asked for his inheritance. Now for a son in that culture, or same with ours, If you ask for your inheritance before your parents are deceased, what you're saying to them is this, you're already dead to me. And what you have is more important than who you are. You're dead to me. Would have been a slap in the face. But this father doesn't push himself on the son, and so he gives him the inheritance. Away he goes, and you know, I just imagine this son, I imagine him walking down the streets. I mean, think about it. He has an inheritance. He has a lot of money. Imagine him, he got new clothes, he goes to the best restaurants, he's attracting a crowd. He's, you know, he's at the restaurant, he said, drinks are on me. He's got friends that he's never had before. All of a sudden, people are laughing at his bad jokes. He looks more handsome than he's ever looked before. He's not only buying stuff, but he's also buying people as he continues to spiral to the bottom, and that's what he did. You know, this week's winning lottery ticket, $1.5 billion dollars guy on the radio said, whoever that winner is, they just found out they have 10 cousins that they've never met, but who really love them, right? That's what this guy would have been like. He was at the top. People loved him. They flocked to him, flying high. But I just wonder, I wonder if he ever thought of home. I wonder if there was ever any times in his mind when he just thought, I wonder what my dad's doing. I wonder where my brother is. 
But I, I bet you that was quickly diminished, though, as he continued to spend and as he continued to just kind of dampen that desire that was within him. Verse 13 says, not long after that, after he'd received the inheritance, he goes off to the distant country. He squanders his wealth on wild living. He spends everything. Then a famine comes over the land. Not good news for him. So then he goes. He's desperate. He hires himself out to a citizen of that country. That citizen says, okay, you can, you, you can go out now. The, you're my hired hand. You go out. You feed the pigs. He becomes so hungry. He longed for something to fill his stomach. Even the pods of the pigs, they looked tasty to him. And that's being at the bottom And know this, when we see that he associated with pigs, that's no subtle thing in the text. For a Jew to associate with a pig was a horrible thing. Pigs were ceremonially unclean. This would have been beyond detestable. This would have been a huge statement of, whoa, look what you're doing. What a disgrace. You are so low and so desperate. Christina spent some time as a teenager working on a grandparents farm and they had a big hog operation and she described to me in detail what it was like to to try to get these little piglets these little baby pigs sometimes onto trucks she had to help with that at times and she said I remember chasing these little piglets through this like imagine a foot of just slop just slop and she said then you would pick up one of these little piglets and the slop it had a name they called it poop soup And so she said, you pick up one of these piglets, and the piglet was just covered in the poop soup, and it was just disgusting. This is where this guy's at. He's at the bottom. Let me ask you, have you ever been at the bottom? Have you ever been at that place where you just go, God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. Oh, there's only one way to go at this point. We can't go any lower. We can only go up. Have you ever been in that position? That's where this man is at. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, and that's a big statement. This is a picture, church, of what it looks like when the Spirit of God gets a hold of someone's life. And many of you have had this experience before. You you would say, I came to my senses. I can remember my senses. When I came to my senses moment when I was 19 years old, God got a hold of my life. That's what's happening here. That's when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, and instead of just ignoring the nudge of God, you grab your moment. You grab your moment. And that's what he did. And he said in that moment, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back and I will say to my father, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is what repentance looks like. The son knows who the father is. The son knows everything about the father. And he says this, I've sinned against you. That's what repentance is. Repentance is acknowledging what you've done and turning away from it and turning to God. And then he says this, verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. He knows he has faith in who his father is. But imagine this, everyone. Imagine his walk home. In August, our family took a vacation uh, to my folks' cabin in eastern Iowa. And one afternoon, I decided to take out my dad's motorcycle, really nice motorcycle. And uh, he doesn't ride it that much, and, and so he's happy when someone just rides it and gets some gas going through it, that whole thing. And so I decided, yeah, I'll take it out. And the, Christina had the kids, and they were in town. And so I thought, I'm just going to go around the, the loop here. It's maybe a mile, and I had flip-flops on. Not a good idea. 
And um, so I, I, I did that, though, and I, they still hadn't returned. And so I said, you know what, I'll go out to the highway road and just see if I can meet them. Well, they still, I didn't meet them. So they were still in town. So I said, ah, what the heck, I'll just keep going. So I drove all the way into town, and sure enough, small town, I spotted them right away. And, and I said, we, we should go to Dairy Queen together. So we drove to Dairy Queen, and I'm in front of them, and they're behind me. And so we get to Dairy Queen, and I, I pull in, and, and I, I put my foot back on the kickstand. Mind you, I've got those flip-flops on. And, and I, I pushed down, but I must not have gotten the kickstand down all the way. Because as I did what, you know, you do when you park a motorcycle, you turn the wheel to the left and you lean it back. But when I leaned it back and when I started to tip it over onto the kickstand, it was not there. And it's a heavy bike, a big bike. And so down to the ground, it went. Christina pulls up in the car. Ooh. And so I'm trapped underneath it. I wiggled my way out of it. But here's the kicker. As that thing hits the ground, I hear this breaking and cracking and crushing noise, multiple of them. And I picked that thing up as fast as I could. And the kids are looking at me like, oh, Grandpa's going to be mad, you know. And, and so I picked it up, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. And I'll be honest with you, I was beside myself. I looked at this thing, and it had a cracked windshield, cracked turning signal, both. Cracked mirror, but this was the doozy. And I was looking to see if this had been injured. I went right to the front and I looked at the custom painted fender and sure enough, deeply scratched. Needless to say, I didn't go in for ice cream. And that drive home back to the cabin, I hated it. I still remember the feeling actually. And I remember I called some different motorcycle shops and I started to get all the prices and all this stuff and my plan for attack on how to repair it all. And, and then I called my dad. Now, here's the thing. I have a really good dad. I have a great dad. And so I called him, and I'm laying out my plan for repair and this whole process. And in the middle of my sad speech, you know what he said to me? Because it's horrible, just to be honest. The reason why I hated the ride home is because as a grown man, do you want to do that? No, it's hard to admit your mistakes as a kid, let alone as a grown man. And so I called him, and as I'm telling him about the repair process and how I'm going to take care of it, he cuts me off with grace. Look with me at verse 20. It says, but while he was a long way off, don't miss this, anyone. It's implying that the father is looking and he's waiting. While he was a long way off, the father saw him. Last night I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding. And my favorite place to be in a wedding is right where the pastor gets to be. And you know why? My favorite moment in the wedding, hands down, is this. It's when the bride comes walking down the aisle and all the attention is looking right at the bride. And what I like to do in that moment is first I like to see the face of the bride. But then I like to look to my left and see the face of the groom. And last night it was so cool. I've never seen it quite this dramatic actually. Megan, the bride, is walking down, and she just, she just busts out into this, ah, you know, like excitement. And then I look over at Tyler, and he does the same thing. I thought she was going to ditch her dad, and they were going to meet in the middle. I mean, just like a new way to do a wedding. But he was so excited. Look what the father's doing here. But while he was still a long way off, he spots him coming. The father saw him. He was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son. Now know this, in this culture, that was more than undignified because grown men did not do that. They did not run like that. They did not express that kind of emotion. But you cannot miss this. That's the kind of emotion and love that Jesus Christ has for you and he has for me. 
He's filled with it. He can't contain it. There is no one who wants us to return home more than God himself. You might have a parent in your life. You might have an aunt or an uncle or a coworker that you think in your mind, they really want me to know who Jesus Christ is. But know this, there is no one who wants you to know who God is more than God himself. And he is passionately pursuing us. It's not an accident you're here. Remember verse 7 from the, earlier in the chapter. Jesus says this, I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. We see the heart of God. He longs for us to step into relationship. The heart of God is this. If you stray, whether you relate more to the older brother or to the younger brother, there's nothing that brings the heart of God more joy than when you take a step back towards God. If your heart has been hardened and you say, I'm softening today, there's nothing that brings God more joy. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is repentance, genuine repentance. Jesus, I've sinned against you. Jesus, this is when a person says, Jesus, you are a holy God and I am not. And I don't deserve your grace, but I'm so thankful for it. And while all this is happening, the father, what's he doing? He's not preparing a speech to condemn. No. He's giving out some orders, though. He's saying, hey, I want you to get the best robe and get the ring and get saddles for his feet, sandals for his feet. And, and know this, those, were not just, those aren't just little things in the text either. These were symbols of honor. This was a way of communicating to this son and to all of us reading sonship. This is a way of communicating immense worth. He lays out the instructions for this feast, this huge celebration. Verse 25, though. Meanwhile, the older son... He's out in the field. And some of you, you might be able to relate more here. It says, when he came near the house and he heard the music and he heard the dancing. And so he says to the servants, hey, what's going on? I've been out working hard. Looks like something's going on here. What's happening? Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied. Uh, and your father has killed the fattened calf, the best one we got. Because he has him back. Safe and sound. The older brother, though, became angry. He refused to go in. And isn't this true? How you desire for others to experience grace says a lot about the grace that you've experienced. Isn't that true? I mean, I mean, think about it. When you see someone far from God taking a step towards God, what does that do in you? If that brings about in you a whole bunch of joy, then you've probably experienced the goodness and the grace of God. If when you see someone far from God step towards God and you're still kind of like, yeah, but I think they deserve, eh, eh, and you're kind of just negative about it, that reveals that maybe you have yet to experience the true grace of God yourself. The older brother, what does he do? He refused to go in. He's saying this. Why? Look at what he says to us. So his father, though it says he went out. Notice this. The father pursues both sons. The father pursues them both. And he pleads with him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Notice how he sees the father, though. The older brother sees the father as a taskmaster. He doesn't know him. What's your view of God? It's so important to ask that question. What is your view of God? This, let this text inform it this morning. And then he says, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, when this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother. When this son of yours... 
who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Imagine what the older brother was feeling, but also imagine this. Imagine what he might have said to his younger brother. I imagine him going up to him and just saying this. You stink. You stink. Do you have any idea how you have broken the heart of our dad? And hey, by the way, the next time that you decide just to show up back home, why don't you have earned enough money to pay dad back first before you even think about coming onto this property? He's upset. He's mad. He clearly doesn't know his father. It's impossible to gladly give grace when you haven't received it. Verse 31, my son, this word son there in the text is interesting. It literally means my child, my child. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. My son, my child, this isn't about you. This is about me. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. You know, there are very few people that will will admit that they're lost. We see this even when we travel. How many men do you know that when we get lost, we like to ask for directions? We don't like to admit that we're lost. But know this, when Jesus talked in the scriptures, he used the word lost to describe people that were far from God. And what he was saying was this. He's saying that if if you're far from God, then on the spiritual front, on the most important and the deepest part of who you are, you're lost. Meaning, you don't know your way back to God. I remember when I was lost spiritually. But this younger son, he knows, he, he knows, I was lost. But what the father's saying to the older son is this, hey, your younger brother was lost. He was dead, but now he's found. Now he's alive. And he's saying this to him, that's a miracle. He's come home. He's come to his senses. So older brother, don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't be hard-hearted. Be the type that you're filled with joy because your brother has come home. A famous painting by a guy named Rembrandt depicts this scene so well. But notice some of the things that he communicates just through the details in this picture. Look at the, look at the, just the, the tagger, just the way that the younger son looks. You know, there he is, his sandals off, you know, and his robe's a mess. Look at his hair's been cut, no beard. I mean, there's a lot of detail there. It's communicating that this younger son, what is he coming with? Nothing. He's coming with nothing. And that's how we come before Jesus Christ. We come with nothing. If you've always been under the impression that if you just do X, you'll be right with God, that is not the good news. That is not the gospel. That is clearly not the best news ever because that is a hard way to live, always wondering. But when you come with nothing, that's when you experience the grace of God. Notice the older brother, though. Look at him there. He's standing. He's, yo, he's good. He's proper. He's slick. He's got it all put together. Look at his hands. Are his hands like, oh, my brother, Oh, I'm about to receive you. Let me in on this. No. He's like this. I don't want anything. Disdain. And then look at the old, look at the father. Look at his hands. They're on the son. Look at his head. He's got the son. He's got his head pulled right into his chest saying, you are with me. It's undignified. Yes. Yes, you stink. Yes, come though. You came home. Maybe this morning you look at the older brother and you would just say this. Maybe your heart 
is just a little bit hard. And I just try to picture this, this picture, and I kind of wonder what would it have been like, though, if the older brother would have gotten the picture here and would have stepped forward and would have joined in that. Maybe this morning the thing you need to hear more than anything else, maybe you have this moment where maybe you are the younger brother. You have this moment where you come to your senses. You have this moment where you say, okay, one day I will stand before a holy God. And that holy God is just and he's good and he's right and all of those things. But yet that holy God loved me so much that he didn't make me pursue him. That he actually pursues me. That he pursued me so much that my Father in heaven would send his son Jesus Christ to die for me. Then he, Jesus would prove that he was God after going to the cross by raising from the dead, proving that he's more than capable to forgive your sins and my sins. And maybe this morning your coming home moment is you say this, I am coming to Christ. I'm putting my faith in the Father. I believe who he is. Or maybe for you this morning, you see yourself more in the older brother. And for you, maybe this morning, you're just upset with God. And oftentimes, isn't it true, when you go through a hard time in your life, your view of God can sometimes get distorted? And that's what Satan would love for you to think. He would love for you to question who God is. So maybe for you this morning, your moment is this. You're maybe, you're maybe in the same house, but you feel like you're under the same roof but you feel like God is so distant from you. And so maybe this morning what you need to see is this, and this is what the father was trying to communicate to the older brother was this, I'm for you. You've always had me. I see you. And some of you maybe here this morning, that's the thing you need to hear more than anything else is that God sees you, that God knows you, that God loves you. Whether you're a hard heart, whether you're just a little bit bitter, maybe you're questioning or maybe you've been blatant and you've been absolutely rebellious and it's very clear to you, hey, this is what I need to do. But the question that I want to leave you with this morning is this. What does it mean for you to come home? What does it mean for you to come home? You know, I love it in the scriptures. It makes it very clear that God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. Meaning that God created you to long for a creator. That's why people going through life without God, oftentimes come to a place in their life. That's why atheism right now is not so popular. Atheism is not so popular. You know why? It's because people were created. God put eternity in the hearts of people. Why? Because he wanted us to long for the one who made us. And not in just sort of a way that, hey, I've got life insurance for when I die, just to kind of check the box. Absolutely not. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus says, no, 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 I invite you into life with me both now and forevermore, and you're going to be able to walk with me, and my Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you, and you're going to be able to walk, and I'm going to speak into your life, and my word is going to come to life for you. And Jesus says this, I didn't come for you to have average. I came for you to have life in all of its fullness. And so this morning, what does it mean for you to come home? You know, I'm going to pray for us, but I want to share this with you first. This is from James chapter 4. It's one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures. This is a promise that we get. It says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I just hope that you're reminded this morning from these three parables that when you draw near to God, know this, he's already drawn near to you. He pursues you. And so maybe this morning you have your moment where you just say this, hey, I, I'm coming to my senses. 
I'm not going to ignore the nudges of God. I'm going to respond to the nudges of God. So let me, um, let me pray for us now.